0: Good morning, everybody. This is Phil Stevens. It's Iron Radio. I am a coach, a powerlifter, a Highland Games athlete, and just an amazing personality, if I do say so myself.
1: Nice. This is Dr. Mike Nelson, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Side Cert and the PhysFlex Cert. The Physiologic Flexibility Cert will open again on Labor Day, so September 4th. Uh dot com. Coming right up. Yep. This is Drill, Coach Drill
2: out of Strength Guild and KC. I'm a, uh we weightlifting coach primarily right now. And do when we just started our nutrition well, getting ready to start our nutrition challenge. Transformation challenge. Trans- Transformation challenge. What do you There's win? Only- only three spots left. Uh there's uh some Chiefs tickets on the line. Ooh. I got a nice little championship belt with the strength kill logo on it. Like a you know, like a wrestling championship yeah. belt. Um and then other various prizes along the way. Plus you can nice. earn some gold stars from me, which are done.
0: There you go. How do people can anybody join
2: this? Uh yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, right now it's just local though, so we're just doing Belitha, Overland Park, Lenexa. Cause you got to come in. I got to see the work. Can't, there you, you go. Know. Okay.
0: Yep. So anybody in the Kansas City area, get them up. <sighs> so what were we talking about? We, we were talking about bears right before we came on. And how amazing they are. What do you got for us, Mike?
1: Oh, yeah. So I have this weird sort of semi-obsession with reading research on bears, even though I'm obviously <laughs> not a bear researcher. Um, and the reason was that if you look at what bears do, right, I'd say they're, they're kind of almost like powerlifters. They get really fat right before their meat or before hibernation. They eat everything in sight. And then they crawl in their cave. And they go sleep for many months, which if you live in a northern cold climate, man, some winters that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's like what am I doing out? And you they wake up in spring and they are significantly leaner. They have almost no muscle loss. And they're not in there doing, you know, squats and deadlifts and push ups, you know, in their cave when they're hibernating. They're hibernated they're generally asleep. And the other part that's fascinating, I talked to uh, a guy I used to know. He actually did cardiovascular research on bears because they were trying to figure out, you know, how do they get such low heart rates? They don't have any arrhythmias. They don't have any <clears throat> thing that develops. And so I thought, like, oh, you just you know go in the bear's cave, you you know you dart them, and hey, how easy is that? He's like, nope. He's like, they're very become very hyper aware very fast. So they do like this weird, almost like, uh, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't say Wim Hof technique, but they're, they start breathing really, really fast to elevate their heart rate. And he showed a video where they stuck a camera into this bear's dead and woke it up and it's doing this weird like hyperventilation technique and like snarling at him in between was like really yeah. pissed off. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I would not want to be, <laughs> I would not want to be going anywhere close to that. Um, but. There's a newer study that's, uh, from the physiologic biochemical zoology, uh, journal, 2022. This is, uh, September through October. So like literally brand, brand new yesterday called differential changes in circulating steroid hormones in hibernating brown bears, preliminary conclusions and caveats. Uh, the main researcher, it looks like it's Robert, I think. And. So what they're talking about is is similar. They said that, you know, bears, after six months of hibernation and physical inactivity, they show none of the adverse consequence of a sedentary lifestyle in humans. They don't show any cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, or kidney failure. The other part that Phil mentioned, too, which is true, is that bears don't really crap in their own cave. Like, they recycle most of their urine, even. So it's not like they're getting up and moving around a whole lot. Um, so they looked at some what are some of these metabolic mechanisms that uh, might be required for bears to do this. So for this study they were looking at primarily quantification of twelve different uh, steroid hormones. Yeah, everything ask. from yeah, everything from SHBG, which is steroid hormone binding globulin, uh to different cortisol ones to testosterone. And they looked at this in both uh males and uh, female bears. Uh, Some of the parts that were significant is that uh, SHBG increased by more than 20-fold during hibernation for actually all bears. So (laughs) when you compare this concentration in humans, the bear levels were very low in the active state, but during hibernation actually equaled high levels in humans. And the thought was that this increase in SHBG levels was likely to maintain a state of relevant uh, quiescence in the reproductive hormones in bears. Um, but the combination of SHBG testosterone levels, uh, resulted in free or bioavailable testosterones of around 70 to 80 picomolar, which unfortunately they put it in metric units, which always messes me up. Yeah. Um, but the thought was that suggesting the role for SHBG in controlling androgen activity during hibernation in males. Uh, They looked at some other uh, testosterone levels, uh, like DHT, estradiol, but they're below uh, detection limits. Uh, Glucocorticoids, some of those were a little bit different between sexes and across the spectrum. They had a very low sample size. I think they had a total of six and seven. And then they said there's also a potential caveat because uh, they did use some ketamine as an anesthetic in order to get these measurements from bears. Because so It's not like you can just walk up to one and try to get a blood draw from a bear. It's not going to go well. Uh, last part was they said that, uh, quote, increased hibernating cortisol levels have been consistently reported in both black bears and brown bears. Thus, we suggest that the high glucocorticoid level actually may support a hibernation state, likely serving to promote lipolysis and glucogenesis, so your use of fat and your use of carbohydrates, uh, while limiting tissue glucose uptake to maintain a continuous glucose supply to the brain. What is also interesting to me about that is that, generally, if glucocorticoids are too high, or cortisol gets too high, then that can potentially affect uh, muscle mass, too. But the research on that is... Yeah, it definitely happens, but under what conditions is probably like all things. You just need a happy medium. You know, if you don't have any, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You need some in order to actually tear down fat and store glucose for energy, but you don't want it to be like, you know, ridiculously high. So yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if it provides anything that's transferable to humans, but the, the SHVG one was the thing I found the most most fascinating, and it appears that that was the one that had the biggest change, and maybe there's something going on in relation to that in bears that's helping them keep relatively lean by spring with without a lot of muscle mass.
2: Yeah, that's
0: yeah, generally a, a super high SHBG is something that you don't want in a human.
1: Right, because that's the theory is that, you know, it's exactly what the name says. It's, it's not just, being used then. Right. It's being bound to it, but I don't know. I have questions about that too, because yeah. you'd still have to know the kinetics of how much is being stuck to it and how much yeah. you have floating around. So I, yeah, I think it's a thing, but a lot of people are like, Oh, my SHBG is real high. I'm screwed. It's like, yeah. well, what's your testosterone? What's your free testosterone? What's your estradiol? Mm-hmm. Like you need to look at all like, you know, all blood work, right? You need yeah. to look at all the other measures, but. Yeah, it does seem a little bit. Yeah, not Unless what it's I would like have like releasing
0: it or something and just keeping it around longer and is the only thing I could think about. Is potentially it's hanging on and just keeping keeping it around at a higher level a longer period of time. I don't know. Because in yeah. humans, like if you put me into a medicated coma for 3 months, fed me nothing, like I would wither away to nothing. You know, oh, yeah. You'd wake me up at the end of winter, and I would look like, I don't uh, uh some kind of pop singer or something. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's it'd be interesting to see what they can do. Because I would expect, like, your potentially their testosterone and growth hormone levels and stuff to be through the roof to help them aid in this.
1: But Yeah, that's what I would have thought, too. And I, I haven't read the full study in detail yet, so I don't know. Mm, I would assume they measure growth hormone, but that's usually a separate measure to do. Yeah. So looks like, at least in the abstract, they, they haven't mentioned that. But yeah, that would have been my guess is that when GH is higher, especially if it gets out of, you know, normal physiological levels, it might hold on to muscle. We know it doesn't do anything really for muscle growth per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but high levels of GH will promote the body to do more lipolysis and possibly even fatty acid oxidation is why people use it to get leaner and it definitely does seem to help with that and does help with uh soft tissue recovery those things um yeah i would have thought like DHT and some of the other ones would have been higher than what they they had but again it's it's a bear not a human so there's yeah. probably other things going on and then like you said with the bed rest studies they've done some of those in humans which uh medsci had a whole host of studies on that, maybe three, four years ago now, that NASA did. So they did some of the ones early in the 60s and 70s. And like three weeks of bed rest, I think, in people who were age 50, it was just horrifying. Like they lost a ton of muscle mass. Everything just went sideways, like really fast. And a lot of times when we say bed rest, like they were usually at about a, I think a three degree head down tilt. And in one of the studies, they had this little crane thing that would, like, carry them off to the bathroom. So, like, the only time their head was ever up is, like, when they were literally taking a shit. And other than that, they stuck them back in this crane thing and, like, carried them back to their bed. Um, I don't know how much they pay these people to do these studies. But, yeah, and then you just see everything go, go weird. Um, there's a researcher in the Netherlands, uh, Van Loon. And they did a study in older adults. I think they were in their 70s. They did this whole year-long intervention with exercise and high protein. And they were able to add, I think it was like four or five pounds of lean body mass to these people. And, again, these are people who were not really training before, weren't really super active. And I think it was only a week or two weeks of bed rest, he said, and they lost all of their gains and more. (laughs) Oh, Jeez. Yeah, it just went backwards like yeah. super fast. Uh, you see that in atrophy, right? And yeah. with injuries, you know, I had, I ripped my entire right shoulder out playing broom ball in college. Oh, yeah. And so I had my whole arm and shoulder in a sling and swath for literally eight weeks. They didn't want to do surgery, which I agreed with them. By the time I got done, like you could play games with my tricep. It like flapped in the wind. Like, I lost so much muscle so fast because I wasn't even supporting the weight of my arm.
0: Yeah, no, I had the same thing happen when with my bicep when I blew it. Yeah. I put you in a cast in your arm's uh inflection in the cast. Yes. But my question is, like, how much was actually lost? Because when I came out of that, like, my upper arm was the size of my wrist. It was sad. Yeah. But within weeks, it was, like, much of that was back. Yep. It was like it was rehydrate. It's like it just okay. We're working again. So how much of his muscle loss and how much of it is just like a? It's like emptied like a balloon. Like it's just oh, we're not being used. Like is there a way to measure that? Like what is the actual muscle tissue? Like the cell turnover. What like how many cells actually go away in that short period? Because that was like six weeks or whatever the hell it was. But and like it couldn't have been totally gone because it wouldn't have come. Like I didn't gain millions of cells in, like, two weeks of movement after I came back.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've, yeah, That's one of those things I've wondered about for a while, and I'm not an atrophy researcher at all. Um, you can kind of get at it. You'd have to do a DEXA, ideally the MRI, but then you have to account for the water difference, yeah. and that's usually the tricky part, especially in a compartment. So you might be able to do – I don't know if you could do a local – BIA because you have to, you know, kind of run the current through your whole body. Um, yeah, I've seen the same thing. I mean, we know glycogen holds a lot of water. And if you just look at lean body mass, like glycogen counts as lean body mass because it's not fat. Um, and then you have the potential memory effect, which I think for injuries and for extreme stuff seems to be a lot greater than what I think we realize. It, it seems like you slide backwards, but then you come back up to a point really fast. Yeah. Um, But I guess that's even being disputed now in terms of, you know, what is the actual effect of it? Was it change in my nuclear domain? I think there was some other recent stuff now that said that probably wasn't it. We know that the amount of cells are probably the same, right? So you don't have a lot of hyperplasia either way, you know, meaning you're not <clears throat> gaining a lot of, actual muscle fiber uh, new ones Uh, it's mostly just hypertrophy of them increasing and decreasing in size but yeah i mean i've worked with a few clients in the past where they've sent me pictures and you're like holy cow that looks horrible (laughs) and then just you know light movement like following their physical therapist not doing anything crazy you know three four weeks later in a lot of cases it looks pretty decent yeah so maybe you've noticed the same thing it appears like the first couple of You see, like, a huge change, and then it's, you know, kind of several months to kind of get those last, you know, 10%, 5%, like, Mm -hmm. to get it kind of back up to where it was before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. And, what, what, like, what can they take from these bears to help humans that are in such a situation? Like, it's not going to be, of course, it'll... Never be a voluntary, like, I'm going to go sleep for three months. But right. plenty of times <laughs> plenty of times that people are in a medical situation. Because I know yeah, in mass
2: they've used
1: uh, a yeah. lot of
0: anabolics to help with muscle waste with people with various
1: ailments. Oh, you know, yeah, especially but, with cachexia, burn patients, things of that yeah, nature.
2: Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, how do you set up the, I guess, hormonal environment of a bear? In a yeah. situation that's similar to hibernation, hibernation in humans, but part of it too is like, if you're set, like if you're from an evolutionary perspective, if you're built to, I mean, you're, essentially you're storing food in your, you know, spring, summer to do that, to hibernate. That's like their whole physical design, essentially. Yeah. In humans are built to, like, really be on the move a lot for their evolutionary bias, bias. So connecting those two might be a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you generally see. Like, <clears throat> I like reading a lot of comparative anatomy. I'm going through a whole bunch of stuff now on how birds see in their vestibular and ocular system for the Triphasic Two books. I've been reading bird research on ocular systems for – god Like months now, <laughs> but I and mean, what do you find is that you generally find subspecies who are hyper specialized in certain areas uh, like I just found another study that's looking at you know metabolic flexibility in wild birds, and part of it is like if you're a bird, like how do you travel that far for migration? like mean, one, how do you know where to go yeah. and 2 they're not stopping and eating at McDonald's along the way right <laughs> I mean yeah. they're in movement. And if you stop moving, then you crash. So that's not good, right? So how do they do that? And a lot of the earliest stuff I've read was using primarily fat as a fuel, but you have to be able to do that for sustained long, long periods of time. Yeah. So it appears that a lot of other animals are highly specialized to certain uh, things, and humans tend to be the best probably general adaptation If there is any super special about humans, it's probably the ability to use their brain to make tools and then also most likely heat regulation. So humans are surprisingly really good at heat regulation comparatively to other animals of different species. You know, even without technology, we can do pretty good at cold temperatures. We can do pretty good at hot temperatures. You know, there's the whole subsistence hunting thing where you just chase an animal for days and days until it collapses of heat stroke, and then you're like, oh, yeah, we got the animal. <laughs> huh.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Uh, and, I mean, the bears seem to bounce back, like, amazingly fast. Yeah. You know, I mean, they essentially lose, the, aside from the fact they're pissed off and hungry when they wake yeah. up, and they'll eat anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, cause that's what they say is like, stay away from fucking bears when they wake up. Uh,
1: oh, I would not want to be near but, a bear then.
0: Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. Not and if they're, or if they have cubs at all. If you see a little cute bear cub, like, yeah. The other way, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mom's yeah. pissed. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: So. And that's, that's another thing. I mean, do bears, when do they have cubs? It's not while they're hibernating, right? Oh. In the winter?
1: I, I don't uh, know. I think it might be. Are they, I'm like, sure. gestating?
0: Are they gestating while they're napping also? I mean, and not eating? that's, like, the it's, opposite of a human as well. I think so.
1: Yeah. So, I did look it up. Uh, <laughs> usually generally born middle winter during the denning okay. period, yeah. mid-January yeah. through February. So I The Wamsay have had it even worse.
0: They're starving yeah. all the winter and... Like nursing kids. Holy crap. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. That ain't going to work for humans. No. But, <laughs> but, again, maybe they're like, like even human women, I've heard, like talking to Juliet Windler, who we had on the show. Like, and, well, the Russians with their whole pregnancy doping. Oh, uh, yeah. They, you know, women get this huge surge of human you know, hormones when they're, uh, when they're pregnant. And it's like, Juliet's like, she never was stronger than when she was pregnant. Like she hit a squat PR when she was pregnant because she finally had a squat belly and then, uh, <laughs> all the hormones going through her. She's like, I've never been able to match that squat that I was able to do while I was pregnant. But huh. she's also kind of a freak and like made sure she could do chin ups and stuff the whole time she was pregnant, things like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, how much of that was nature and how much was that her, just her level of activity compared to the average human, the,
1: so yeah, there was some old <laughs> russian stuff for endurance sports that they would do the similar thing that they and i don't know if this is actually true or not or if it translated but that due to some of the changes in hormones that it was after they gave birth i think for a couple of months like certain hormones would be elevated i don't know if it was epo or what and that their endurance performance was substantially better so they would try to time that, you know, around the the games or the big competitions.
0: Interesting. So. Yeah. <sighs> what else is going on, Jarrell? Is there anything in the news besides 60-year-old people deadlifting mm-hmm. 600 pounds, whatever it is?
2: <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'm trying to see what all the, you know, weightlifting clubs were, or the kind of big kids were working on. You know and, I mean – we kind of got Pan Am's in the neighborhood, but otherwise, nothing. This is like a dead space for. It is. It, I mean, it's ending soon for all sports because football will be back, but it, this is like the dead space for all sports is like that August, yeah. early September. So, but I, I've been kind of, I was able to glean some info from a long snapper. There's apparently a, uh, apparently he's a really good long snapping, uh, he was a good long snapper in the league for, in the NFL for a long time, but he's, he does like long snapping lessons here. Mm-hmm. And, and so he was, you know, teaching one of the kids that I have trained before about like what's, what's important. And then, I mean, he went in explicit, not explicit detail, but he went in detail how strong your posterior chain should be. Mm-hmm. Like teaching, like hey, look, you need to your glutes, hamstrings, and all that. Which is kind of funny because the long snapper is an interesting position that you can maintain. Like you can stay in it for a long time. It's not like you take a ton of damage. You don't get
1: hit a lot, hopefully.
2: You no, know, and they're like a kicker. I mean, they yeah, yeah. it's against That's the rules. All you they can't, do on
0: the team, you, know? you can't
2: hit the long snapper. Yeah, at least on the initial, you know, play. So, yeah, I mean, and it was just interesting to hear what is important to a long snapper and why. But uh, and the fact that how important the posterior chain is and just basic posterior chain strength in sports. I know we harp on that like all the time with every new athlete is like, yeah, okay, you know, quads and abs and all that. But like your glutes, hammies and. Back or your like real athlete mm-hmm. muscles. So it was interesting to hear that. Just kind of a perspective from a long snapping specialist who like teaches people that now. I think the thing too was like they're more like in in his words, it's kind of like nerdy type people who are just like, oh yeah, I wanted to be on the football team. Like his thing was like, I just was like, yeah, I wanted to join the football team, but I wasn't like. Good at like anything. And then I was like, Oh, I'll get good at long snapping. And then he just ended up being so good that he ended up like being like a top recruit for long snapping and all this stuff. And it was like, he was like barely interested in it the whole time until yeah. he, and he just was like essentially just kind of a nerd about the whole process. Like, all right. Well, how do I do this? To, you know, the best I can. Yeah. So just his, his. Opinions on that were, were interesting. This is second-hand information, but I yeah. thought, uh, um, I just thought it was interesting. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'd have them in, but I don't know that long snapping would be a huge seminar draw and just be me <laughs> and having a chat.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a, a sub-niche topic. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: for yeah, sure. Well, and I am mean, not interested in that stuff, but.
0: Yeah, so am I. I mean, that's like me looking back. If I had something to choose, I always said I'd be a punter in the NFL if I could choose my career. Oh, yeah. Like, you're never, like, a place kicker. Like, the game is in your hands at times. Like, you got to make this fucking field goal. Like, a punter, you just, doesn't matter that much. Like, oh, you put it at the five instead of the ten. You know, it's not that, it's not game ending shit, usually. Um, and you make, you know, at least the league minimum. So, and that's good money. So, practices, you just go out and punt a few balls. You know, people can't hit you. It's against the fucking rules. <laughs> oh, you, know, you got these long ass careers. That'd yeah, be great. So.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think there's <sighs> Ryan Clark. Maybe, I mean, he was on. I think it's a Pat McAfee show with who was a punter and he was just joking around and he said something like, you know, kickers aren't football players or something like that. Yeah. And he was talking about when they're there's a some sort of team meeting where they're getting chewed out and like he's yelling at and the kickers are out like, you know, shooting dice or something outside, like, wow, that's bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, you guys aren't know. It's <laughs> He's like, you yeah, guys don't even have to hear it. We're like, you over here getting yelled at.
0: Yeah. Kickers are over there playing cornhole and drinking beer. <laughs> yeah, Badass. Yeah, <laughs> so. oh, yeah we they don't, able,
2: able, they don't have to feel it.
0: We might as well bring this up just because it's newsworthy. Uh, Darrell brought it up to us a little bit ago, and I got the article right here in front of me. The headline says powerlifter Larry Wheels talks about his decision to stop taking steroids. Um. Hmm. I'm not buying it, but uh, <laughs> uh <clears throat> Wheels says he'll need to go off steroids, though he says he now needs to go on testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, because his body can no longer make testosterone naturally. Surprise. Now, yeah, after, I mean, what do we look at? many now? years. He's 26, and hell, he's been on the scene at least a decade.
1: Oh, he's only 26. So, I thought he was a little older than that. That's oh.
0: he's born in '94. Yeah. So. Yeah. Huh. Um. But so basically, he says he's going to go on TRT at 175 milligrams per week. And He says that is on the high side of being natural, healthy male in his prime. Um. So basically he says it's he's gonna do it for health reasons and but at the end of the article he also says that Wheels doesn't give a timetable for how long he'll be off steroids. He does admit that there will likely be a time again in the future when a PR, like a thousand pound deadlift, will necessitate going back on PEDs. But for now he's willing to see what he can pull off
2: without them. Hmm. So yeah. Sounds I like mean, if that's Yeah, if that's the case it's like he's <laughs> leaving the door really open. Like. Yeah, so basically <laughs> what he's doing
0: is what, what he used to do and he's gonna come off for a little while. Um and that brings up an interesting topic because like we talked about many times with Lonnie, it became like the the end thing to like body to tell you they're off when they basically stop everything but a bunch of testosterone. Like, like all of a sudden, that didn't count. Yeah. Um, Like, oh, I'm taking this 500 milligrams a week. I'm pretty much off. Well, yeah, you're really not. Um, And how much of that, like we've talked about before, and I've talked about this before, is, uh, you know, you see a lot of these people nowadays, like you don't see careers like cones anymore. No. Powerlifting you don't see decades of of somebody making it to the top and but you look at what they take now and it's massive amounts that's never ending whereas those guys if you openly talk to them like one of the best books i've read in my life was john cook's uh how oh, powerlifting he had a, he wrote a book on powerlifting it's paid pretty much a little pamphlet and in the book he lays out not only his training regimen but uh, like exactly what he took, and by today's standards, it was basically nothing. But but in the off season, they they drop everything,
1: you yes. know, they'd they'd actually back, and actually go completely
0: off. They would, yes, and they would really go completely off and let their body, you know, get back to what it was. And now that's not happening anymore. And how much of that is leading to these shortened careers? And I'd have to say a lot. You know, I mean, Larry has definitely not been without his massive injuries in a short career at a young yeah. age. So, and I think a lot of it is just the whole mindset shift nowadays. I mean, with social media and everything else, everything needs to be done. I want it to, it's like the little girl on uh uh the Willy Wonka and chocolate factory. I want it and I want it now.
2: <laughs> <You know>? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Veronica or whatever name she eats too many blueberries. Yeah. But um, you know, you just don't <clears throat> you don't see people putting in 10 years except for in like it's more prevalent in some of the Olympic sports. And I'm not saying Olympic sports are, are drug free. Cause of course we all know they're not, but, uh, they're under much higher testing standards and stuff. So at least there's that, yeah. uh, as far as compared to like powerlifting and, and strongman and things like that. But, uh,
2: yeah, I mean,
0: I don't know if it's better. You know, I don't. I mean, Cones' yeah. records lasted what twenty six years.
1: And how many? Versus, what four or five weight classes?
0: Yeah, versus people that were like on sh- massive amounts of shit all the time, trying to break his record. So, I mean, I can't see that it's. I think it gets you to a certain level a lot fucking faster, but the long it does something to the longevity. And I don't think it changes that final peak, you know. One would expect his, even if shit stayed the same, one would expect in 30 years somebody would break the record.
2: Mm -hmm. Because it's like any other record.
0: Once it's done, it's believable. You know, like once Bolt ran under 10 seconds, it's like, oh, okay. That is possible. You know, and it's usually that first one's the hardest. And that's that's a glass you have to look through when you're looking at records is... Like, that first one is the hardest because it seems impossible because no one's ever done it. hmm It's just like a 1,000-pound deadlift. Once Bolton did it, oh, well, shit, okay. You know, it it lent other people a belief. You know, and if you believe in something, you, there's a higher chance of you making it happen. So. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I would say, I mean, it steals from, not steals from the sport, it's like not diminishing their accomplishments in total, but. You know, you want to see, particularly if you think about it in terms of, like, characters, right, in a, in a, in a team value, you want to see your characters, like, doing well for a long time. Mm -hmm. And if you just have, like, a five-year run, and to me, that's about, at least in my shortish experience, out and outside of weightlifting, I should say. Yeah. Where it's like you have, you pretty much have a five-year run. Yes. Like you know from the time you're you know doing the biggest stuff and it might just be too tough like you know you got to think about how many more reps that Cohen was doing mm-hmm. on his way up to those levels that these guys you know miss out on essentially like the the base is you know still not built foundation is leaky so to speak and it's yeah. like that, that part I think is hard to disconnect from. Like, yes. the, the more reps you can get in over a longer space, like your, your technique is going to be better as well. Like, you know, per your body type. I mean, you know, if you watch Ed Coney, you might not think, oh, what a, you know, perfect power up or something. Mm-hmm. But he's in terms of like knowing his body and knowing his lifts, it was like, yeah. Know, so you can't replace the amount of like that amount of reps, and yeah. you see it in weightlifting sometimes too It's like the the Bulgarians versus like the Russians who were very you know Bulgarians were very violent and tact lifts and all that stuff they had a ton of injuries, and their stars didn't last very long. they were yeah. usually done by like twenty six whereas you still had you know Russian guys in that same era who are getting to 36 and yes. still hitting record, like breaking their own records, you know? So just having enough, more time with, you know, those reps and other And if you do start down that path, it's like, that is a one shot path. Like if you miss, it's like trying to fly to the moon is like, <laughs> you know, if, if you're off by a few degrees, you, you not only will not hit the record, but it could be devastating and you'll be, yeah, out in space doing you know simply nothing. Yeah, and so,
0: that's like it's just um uh, Yeah, I mean I've just seen it too many times that we see this rising star the young guy that is like, Oh, he's within a hundred pounds of that record. And they where did he come from? And then a year and a half later he's gone. Yeah. You know <laughs> he's just wrecked. Whereas I'm just I just pulled up Cohn's page here. And he won the IPF Worlds, and then he took a bunch of firsts in the Worlds for the next 17 years.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So from 84 to 2001, um, that's longer than most people's careers now. And, I mean, one would think, I don't know how many years, but there were some years prior to 84 when he won his first IPF Worlds. Like, he didn't just start training in 84 yeah. and win the Worlds. So, um, and that's not saying, like, it's, it's no secret that Ed did drugs. You know, he yeah. got popped three times by IPF before he was finally just banned for life. Um, <laughs> but what I, what, what I'm talking about is, you know, it's not me saying that, like, don't do drugs. You know, it's stupid and like these guys do it. It's, it's part of the sport. It's maybe look at the level you're doing and maybe set a longer term goal. Because as far as I know, I mean, I'm not super close with Ed, but I know him, and we talk, and, like, he seems to be healthy and still kicking. Whereas you're seeing a lot of these guys now, they're dead by 40, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't reach his level. So, and yes, Ed's a genetic freak, and he was, like, hand-built for powerlifting. Oh, yeah. Um. So, you know, we have to take that out of the equation. He was just, like, perfectly built for the sport, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like anything else. It's just gone overboard and people want everything now and they don't want to put... I think a lot of these genetic freaks of nowadays would are doing themselves a disservice by like their career would be longer and I think they'd reach a higher pinnacle if they backed off just a little bit. You know? Um, (laughs) Take two years instead of six months to reach this (laughs) thing.
2: Um... So, yeah. yeah. I mean, from a rep, even from a rep's perspective, it's like, and part of the thing too now is like, per the going heavy all the time is like, Ed Cohen never had that pressure. In fact, he's like the opposite. He's like, yes, most of his lifts are, you know, light comparatively sub maximal. Yeah, yeah. So he spent a lot of time, and again, to me, that goes towards technique with. In the, same, in the same vein as like, uh, you know, like the Russians doing most of their lifts between 60 and 80%.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then only pushing it, you know, the few times per year they needed it. In,
0: in competition when it counted.
2: Yes. And I mean, how many people put themselves at risk in the, just in a global gym to see what they can do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, and I would even say that there's a lot of less people who want to go and compete. There's a lot of strong people who just really avoid the actual competition. Like, yeah, they, you know, a lot of say uh, talented people in strength sports who just are like, Instagram is enough. And it's like, okay, but you know, you don't have any timing any like, you know, leveling off. You're not like doing any baseline work. There's none of that. It's just test, test, test all the time. Yeah. And the younger guys, and I can tell you from experience that they get super connected to that. And so when they hear someone say like, nah, man, you need to like take your time and get there, not, not early or late, get there on time. Like you don't need to be, you know, whatever it is. But some of that too, I think for them is like how they come into the sport or come into lifting. It's like, if you started in high school, a lot of times you come into lifting from like a insecurity as a guy anyway, yeah. like being insecure and like not and wanting to be like, get to the, you know, I have muscles and I'm strong level quickly. Mm-hmm. So, and it just sticks with them. And then by the time they get to like 25, 26 drugs are no drugs, they're like, oh, I'm all beat up. I can't do anything. Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. And,
0: I think that changes a little bit. I mean, I know my training's changed because of that. And like you said, a lot of it was talking to Ed. Like the only time he took heavy lifts was on the platform because he was a firm believer in you. Only each organism, each person has so many max attempts in their lifespan. How are you going to use those? You know, and he chose to use them on the platform. Whereas you get somebody like in his same time period. Kurt Kowalski, who decided to pull off a thousand pound double in training <laughs> and then shit the bet on the platform. You know, would he take that back now? You know, did it mean as much? You know, and it's like, ah, I, don't, yeah, I don't know. So
1: it's great. YouTube and that's, video, I mean,
0: gonna... Oh, it's yeah, one of the most amazing like... <laughs> videos ever. It is. And uh, if you're going to do like it in training, it better
2: years. be
0: legendary. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And that was legendary. You know, that's yeah. something. Like, I want to hold it for a minute. I he know. For like three seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, amazing. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, well, that was a good show. We'll call it there. I'm going to go, uh, yeah. check day. my gym and make sure that, uh, yeah, squat day. Yeah, make sure nobody stole anything because apparently cops were at my building <laughs> at four in the morning. Oh, geez. So, yep. Yeah, but, until next week, and then maybe we'll talk about the Swiss coming up again, because that's right around the corner. We were talking about that before the show. Try and get a bunch of people out there. See you again, in the Americas this year. But
1: yeah. Do you have the dates? It's uh, later October, correct?
0: 28th and 29th. It's a Friday and Saturday. Oh, okay. Uh, this is when it is. So if anybody's interested in that, you can go to EliteFTS's site. I'm bringing 12 people up to that. I know Jim's talking, Ed Cone's talking, Jordan Shallow. Jeez, uh, there's a bunch of people talking. Those are just the ones I know off the top of my head. Yeah. But I'm up here right now. And it's also cheaper right now, guys. Yeah, it's 28th, 29th, and until October 2nd or October 7th, you can save $200 at oh. on the 8th it goes up $100 and then at the door it goes up $200